Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Hello and welcome to our Wild Ginger interviews. Oh, hi, good evening. <laughs> We're back on. We're back. We're back oh, every my... two weeks now. Okay. Right. <laughs> I was just getting ready to sit and have a cup of tea and relax on a Wednesday evening. Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you're joining us live, you can ask questions uh, via YouTube. If you listen to us on podcast, uh, we hope you enjoy this evening. So who have we got on this evening, Jack? <laughs> well, just the most amazing guest ever. Oh, who's that? <laughs> You can do a wonderful introduction to him. Well, no, because I actually um, know quite a lot about this guy. Oh, well, I'll just, I'll just sit back and let you do the introduction tonight, then. Um, he once won first local in the Carver Fell race. He did. <laughs> wow. I saw is him it, come. Is that, is that a hard fell race? <laughs> did you get first bet in that 10k that we did in the Nottingham I mean it really <laughs> illustrious career am I picking the right ones here yeah 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 my, my first ever 10k as a bet right? yeah one more in that race than I've ever seen you win in any ultra with an envelope of cash it was an envelope 30 quid or something 30 quid for coming but I actually got third prize for that not first bet which I was a little bit disappointed because I wanted to be called at first bet um so that's my first oh, race as a you disappointment. Know, over that, yeah, I mean, that's terrible, <laughs> isn't it? How disgruntled you can be! No, I don't want that envelope. Um, just give me. <clears throat> anyway, enough anyway, of the yes. waffle. Yeah, enough of the waffle. Yes. Um, I am only joking because we do have a proper runner on. <laughs> <laughs> do we? <laughs> Who is sat next to me? Ah, good evening. <laughs> oh, Richard. This is going to be very good, yes. Richard's already got a comment saying, I hope this is good as he's choosing us over a run. But I hope you're not ditching that run, really, Richard, <laughs> as, your, as your coach. Um, hope, is that the only excuse for getting out of a run is that you're listening to your coach and on an interview? Yes, well, maybe we'll add that as, as an excuse. So, yeah, we've got Marcus Scottney on, who has done other things, other than the ones I mentioned. <laughs> other than the Carver <laughs> Uh, world Championships for the 100k, GB, England vest, winner of Dragon's Back, Kate Rath. You know, uh, you know well, more, you you're there. <laughs> I do listen, see. So. Yeah. <laughs> you might be there for some of those finishes I'm anyway. going to look around the room and see what other trophies are around. <laughs> they're, all, they're all actually out in the hallway, hidden out of there, unfortunately. <laughs> no, by the front door. you got pride of place and mine were, you know, stuffed in the corner of the living room. <laughs> But then people spend more. anyway yes so why, why am i on tonight anyway what's uh well you did a run i did a run oh, yeah. i do lots of runs i do lots of kind of running around and we're talking well i'm gonna say i'm gonna say the word sorry Stu smith but i am gonna say we're gonna talk about fkts but yeah. but we can also call them records yeah. to keep everybody happy um but yeah you've done an fkt and we want to hear about it and um get inspired for doing our own i don't know why i'm saying that because i'm not but 
<laughs> you never know. Other people might. Other people. Me and yeah. Sherlock aren't planning yeah. any soon, but um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I had a little run across a route called uh, the, the Limestone Way. Uh, if you listen to us on podcast, I'm holding up the, the very in-depth. <laughs> <laughs> We're really was... technical here. Like, no website, no nothing. This is a pamphlet about the route. Yeah, this is proper Derbyshire Dales, produced by <laughs> our local council for Derbyshire Dales, District Council. You can get it for £3.50 on their website. Um, it's the official guide to the Limestone uh, Way route. And it's a 46, well, 46 and a half mile route, depending on what kind of how many detours you take. Uh, in the Peak District here in the Derbyshire Dales, and starting in Castleton, going all the way down to Rochester, you can pull off and go into Matlock. And um, it was first devised, if I remember right, this is why I should have done all my research Ooh. and homework, shouldn't I, really? Um, it was first devised in the kind of the late 80s, if I remember right. Well, I then... grew up in the Peak District, and I did know the bit from kind of near where I lived to Matlock when I was a child. So it has been around a while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was 1990. Uh, and and some, of the, some of the signs actually out on the route have shown that they've been around for a while. Um, these kind of little ram signs. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's one. I mean, you mentioned it being close to your your, your mum's house. Yeah, it's close um, to where I grew up. So that was my first introduction when we went to kind of staying at your mum's. I'd go and run on it and mm. go and explore bits of it. And... Um, then they started having a race along the limestone way, but that's different kind of course. It starts in Ashbourne rather than where the route actually kind mm. of finishes in Rochester um, and then deviates a little bit before it gets to Castleton. I, th- I thought it didn't even finish in Castleton. It, it doesn't in finish in Castleton, Hope, yeah. It? Oh, finishes, is that what you meant? Finishes Sorry. in Hope. So it's a little bit different, different route. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had planned to run it last year mm. during kind of lockdown when all races so have been cancelled. So races off. Races um, off, FKTs. All this fitness and energy needs to be channeled somewhere. <laughs> well, for, for a lot of athletes, but I spent last year, majority of it, kind of sidelines with annoying little niggles, putting a stone on <laughs> at Easter, <laughs> discovering an amazing craft beer by Ian Brewery. And um, yeah, was kind of hoping to do some races, but everything just kept getting cancelled. I thought I'd have a go at things like the Limestone Way and a couple of other FKTs, but injuries just kept... I found sitting at desks only five, six days a week mm-hmm. was not good for my body and got a bit of hip flexor issue going on, um, which kind of sidelined me. So, yeah, that project was put to one side. And then with MDS and the getting cancelled, well, rescheduled to October um, back in kind of February, I then kind of put my focus back onto the limestone way and more just treating it as an opportunity to try and get a long run under the belt um, because I hadn't done anything over kind of 30 miles since November when we went to Achieve It's. Oh, yeah, because uh, that was your other race, wasn't it? Achieve It Goat. Yeah, we was going to do Achieve It Goat in December, but that got cancelled because of mm. that initial kind of mini lockdown, George, just before we kind of went into the last lockdown, wasn't it, really? I've lost track of the lockdowns, but yes. Kind of <laughs> sorts. Um, so, yeah, and that got, you know, then once MDS was postponed to October, it's like, right, let's maybe move it, um, have a look at doing Limestone Way, and I was going to do it, this kind of weekend or so, wasn't it? But the forecast and the trail have been so dry here in the Peak Drive. I don't know where mm. everybody else is based, but yeah, I mean, the trails and footpaths have got completely dry. And I just thought, let's kind of give it a bash, give it a whirl. Forecast was looking good. It was really kind of nice, um, northeasterly wind, tailwind. And we did, I uh, did went out and did a couple of recce's, which was a bit of a worry, really, because normally for like a race, 
you know, we'd always have a kind of good taper going into you know, like a good two, three weeks easing back of the training volume. But because I was still kind of in a build phase, my training was still quite high. So it was a bit of a, a kind of, you know, a worry whether or not I tapered enough. Because even the week before, we'd gone and kind <laughs> so of... So basically you're saying if they look at your training and see that you went out and did a 20 odd mile run the week before, that's... Yeah. That's not ideal. <laughs> not ideal. No. Well, I wanted to get. Not to know. you following your own advice. No, I would never but say to an athlete I was coaching. Yeah. <laughs> of course, we wouldn't. Yeah. What, what a stupid idea. Well, it's incredibly <laughs> stupid, but I wanted to get to know the last section because I didn't know the last section through the fields. We also had so. restrictions to stay local as well, so that made going to recce that seven bit impossible, really, didn't it? Yeah. So we'd just got that restriction lifted, so we could start traveling around a bit more. And so it was like, yeah, now let's just go and wreck it, which is a, you know, I mean, really useful wrecky because I think I lost half an hour in that time when I wrecking it, just finding my way across fields because the last section of it, especially the last 10k, six miles, goes through all these fields and it's all a bit like you get into a building and then like, right, where does the footpath go? And you're trying to find the star across the field and navigating around it. And sometimes there's two stars that lead on a different way. Sounds brutal. <laughs> Well, if, if a mist had been down, if it had been foggy, then... Then you'd still be out there. Then, yeah, I could have been there for ages. But yeah, it ended up being a longer record than I planned. And it ended up meaning that that week I'd done like 11 and a half hours of training. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like over 80 miles, which was a bit much. So I was a bit worried and had grumbling tibialis posterior as well because of a long recce I'd done on a Wednesday, wrecking it from Millersdale to Castleton and back. So, yeah. You're supposed to be telling us what to do, not what not to do. Well, sometimes <laughs> it is not what to do, isn't it? We learn from our mistakes and sometimes kind of winging it. Um, so, But I think you'd put, you know, on top of this, you've got decades of training and running. And this isn't just um, something that you've taken <laughs> up recently. Yeah. I mean, I've got, what, over 13 years of running ultramarathons behind me. Um, so we kind of knew, and with it being only 46 miles. Okay. You know, well, again, <laughs> but, that's the, but that's the ultra mentality. And I know people who are probably listening to this and are kind of maybe aspiring to their first 10K or marathon or half marathon or even 50K. You know, it's a huge distance. But as you start doing these longer and longer distance events. Yeah, you know you, that you, what you're capable of and what's quite easy to recover from. And... Yeah, your whole mentality towards it. I mean, you know, we hear a lot of our athletes you know, who sometimes will be quite daunted by, you know, signing up for their first 50 miles so they come to work with us. And you go, and it's only 50 miles. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't say that. Right, but okay. they say that after a while. And they're right, like, yes, like going, sorry, it's sorry. only 50 miles. <laughs> their mindset changes and they're not daunted, you know. Uh, they're encouraged by all the training they're doing that yes, it, like it's not such an omen. I know you are. Um, so uh, but if you are watching us live on YouTube, um, please fire us some questions so you, you don't just have us <laughs> on our sofa. This is just... ch- chatting to ourselves. Um, we might be finishing early tonight. And Doofus himself, Sherlock, so I call him that. That's his kind of pet name here in our house, Doofus. Sherlock is asleep on the other sofa. He's looking at us going, why are you just talking to your screen um ali well let, let's go let's jump let's into a question a real let's, person and a real question. Um, let's kind of jump away from the limestone way because we're going to talk a little bit more about a bit more about the training yeah, pre- preparation um how it went and the nutrition but um hi uh, arlene. Uh, arlene who's watching us live so thank you for joining us arlene it's good to have you along this evening um she's asked us how do you balance training and coaching 
Ah, so who's going to answer that question first? You or me? <laughs> well, you do more training at the moment. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, For me, it's quite easy. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, you're not doing much running at the moment, are you? Because you're no. uh, fatigued. Um, I actually find it, I mean, one of the reasons why I, I, I coach is so that I can train as well. Because of I'm able to dictate my diary, to choose where I work. Um, yeah, as coaches, we work a lot in the evenings because that's when our athletes are, you know, are available to catch up via Zoom or Skype. Um, but it does mean like in the mornings we can kind of go, right, well, I'm going to just go and do my kind of longer run. So this morning I went out and did an hour and kind of 35 minute run and, you know, didn't have any calls till kind of after lunch. So it's very easy to kind of structure um, the working week and then fixing tend to be kind of fitting it around my my training so there's certain like Wednesday mornings I won't do any kind of coaching calls because that's a time when I tend to do a bit of a longer run um, and like times when I know I'm going to be training so I tend to be quite structured when I'm doing my training and then we'll put all my kind of calls and catch-ups um, with athletes around it and when we're working on schedules um, so in some respect I mean that yeah that's one of the reasons why um, we, we you know we are coaches and that's why I kind of fell into it and with lockdown happening last year when I used to be doing sports therapy and I used to be in clinic kind of two and a half to three days a week then that was you know something I then always had to work my training around as well that was the kind of fixed hours I had in clinics so I then had to really kind of um, fit my training around that so like a lot of people have got a full-time job you know my training had to go around that but now as a coach you know doing it full-time yeah I can kind of dictate my hours that that I do and when I kind of chat to athletes so it's yeah it's it's a really nice way of, and in, in some respects, you know, they, they both take up the time in the diary, but you're able to, I find it a lot easier to structure both around it. Yeah, definitely. We're really lucky to have that flexibility. Yeah, yeah. So that we're not forcing ourselves out at five in the morning that I used to do when I was a lawyer. <laughs> that, that's it, you know, and they're able to have that really clear kind of structure um, during the week. And I'm, you know, I devised my own training program, I'm self-coached. Um, but I'm very kind of structured in the, what, how I kind of do my training week in, week out. Um, if you do follow me on Strava, you'll see I tend to do <laughs> the same routes quite regularly. And I think um, we've got a hill on the, um, a limestone no, valley don't behind tell, us. Don't tell them about that one. It's too nice. Um, well, I'm not <laughs> going to tell you where it is, but if you look at the Strava segment, I think I'm probably about to hit gone up there a thousand times. <laughs> this uh, year? <laughs> yeah, nearly this year. Um, so, Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really fortunate when you're self-employed that you can dictate your diary a lot easier to fit the training in. So, uh, but yeah, good question. I hope you're getting some training in, Arlene. And um, yeah, if, if anybody wants to reach out for some coaching, you know, we can head over to our website, marcuscotley.com, and there's a page to hit there or catch us on social media. And we're also happy to kind of chat about coaching bits and pieces. So let's get back to the limestone way. And mm. I don't know if you know this, well, no. <laughs> Me. <laughs> or, or no, I'm talking. I was going to talk about the white peak and the dark peak, oh. um, part of the Peak District, <laughs> mm. because that mystifies some people. So we've got mystifies. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's the dark peak and oh, what's okay. the white peak? Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's about <laughs> to do with the limestone, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> the rocks. Yes. Yes. So geological formation. <laughs> so now is the yeah the geological interlude where I talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to go into detail oh, about it, although it oh, is sorry. something that I, I do enjoy talking about. <laughs> but where we live is right on the 
the kind of meeting point of the dark peak and the white peak. And so in front mm. of our house is dark. It's the gritstone and it's the peat bogs and a very different landscape to the southern part of um, the peat district, which is at the back of our house. Like you say, we've got a limestone um, valley. So that's all mm. I was getting at, really. And the limestone way then starts at another part of those um that join between the white and the dark and takes you down through a very different landscape to say like if you're going over kinder scout or from edale or somewhere like that so it's one where i find that there's a lot of people that maybe live in sheffield they come out to the gripstone and the dark peak and they don't get much further and explore these amazing limestone um valleys dales that we have have you got a picture from cave dale which is right at the start of the limestone way yeah i do um which is oh well that's a view not of the... <laughs> i should have given you the one with sherlock in my little picture so here's marker so you can imagine what's <laughs> those who listen to on podcast they're, they're 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 fine we'll just describe in a romantic way in a very descriptive way of how the cave down looks. Those who are watching it live on, on YouTube, which I don't think are many tonight, so that's okay. Um, they're, they're happy looking at a picture of me. And if I, if I head over to uh, my YouTube channel, there's a video of me doing the whole run. Well, not the whole run. It's not it's not six hours of me doing yeah, it. It's 15 minutes of me yeah, um, we do running it. Which gives you an see... idea of the type of landscape that you're running yeah, through. Yeah. So just describe briefly the route of the limestone way so you're starting you have to you're gonna everybody's gonna have to picture this dramatic limestone <laughs> like just go and google cave dale because this is not the best picture of but it the, other, the, other great, the other great thing about cave dale if you do google cave dale there's a, there's a castle yeah Pebble castle Pebble castle right on the top and then the other side of it's the devil's ass <laughs> yeah oh we're allowed to say that we're allowed to say that it's a big cave it's a big case. It's a yeah, big so I once cavern. said to one of my mates, I was going to take them to Pebble Castle, and they honestly thought we were going to Wales, <laughs> not Castleton. It doesn't doesn't uh, say kind of yeah, it doesn't sound very uh, Derbyshire esque, does it? But I mean, so I mean, if we're talking geology, though, if we're having a geological interview, <laughs> no, I think that's probably enough of that. But do you know why it's all limestone? Well, I do, yes, but I'm not sure. Oh, come on, you can't kind of tease it out. Let's go full you. So picture yourself at the bottom of the sea. Yes, bottom of the sea. <laughs> Tropical sea as well. Exactly. So what fossils did you see on your trip down the limestone way? Well, I saw some very old people. No, I don't mean that at all. Sorry, no. Um, but yes, it's all mashed up sea creatures, isn't it? What's made the limestone? Well, yeah, I mean, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> So anyway, yeah. I was very lucky that my dad had like a geological degree and I used to go and see fossil hunt in the limestone dales of the Peak District. But I'll do a different podcast about that. <laughs> Jen's limestone. I used to do caving. I used to do this whole talk sphere about how limestone was um, created. Anyway, yeah, now we're digressing there. We, are, we have completely gone off. I was asking now. you to describe a little bit of the route. I know you're going to mention lots of the little walls and anyway i'll let you talk us through the route the briefly. whole route briefly <laughs> how long have we got you've got four, three minutes excellent <laughs> the clock's imagine now. we're on twitter you've got 120 oh no that's why i don't like to do that much um so, i mean the route is without sounding really corny is completely varied um it's surprisingly how hilly it was it was about two thousand meters of ascent so kind of over 600 foot of ascent 
I don't know if that includes a lot of the styles and gates. Um, I think I worked out going through the OS map afterwards, there was roughly about 205 styles and gates and squeezes um, to so go through. So the limestone, the white peak is quite characterised with these yeah, fields. A lot of limestone walls. Um, it's, you know, very kind it's of... dry stone walls. And dry stone beautiful. walls, yeah, indeed. Um, and very kind of grassy, mm-hmm. open... There is a few kind of bits of um, little woodlands you go through, but but it's not much. But no, and it's not particularly like high or remote, is it? On that no, side? and so the route kind of just weaved its way down through, um, kind of starting at, at Castleton. And the highest point you actually go onto the route um, it is quite early on. Um, I'm just trying to find the the, the map very quickly. There we go. Um, so it. it goes up to the highest point about 500 meters over Bradwell Moor quite quickly. So the first mile has like 600 foot of ascent in that through cave down. Yeah, yeah, it's quite steep. Um, and then it, it kind of weaves its way down and goes for a couple of really nice small limestone um, valleys, Haydale. Do we Montbell. need to drink every time we say limestone? <laughs> I think we, well, if you're listening on podcast, maybe you should. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it's just really, really varied. You know, then as you get kind of past Bonsall, um, which is one of the points where I met you. Mm-hmm. It then changes a bit more because it starts feeling like it's starting to leave the Peak District um, and it becomes a lot more arable farmland and you're getting a lot more view of kind of Staffordshire and Derbyshire areas. Um, and then you then go through past the Tissington Trail, which is the old disused railway line, and then through the kind of beautiful village of Tissington before you get to mm. Thorpe, which is the bottom of Dovedale, which is almost then, you almost feel like you're then leaving the Peak District um and then the last six miles as we mentioned before is just through kind of farm fields yeah i didn't uh, know that section but you haven't sold that as the highlight of the route I, <laughs> it's kind yeah of just... I, I can kind of see why the limestone way race um cuts starts and <laughs> ashbourne and cuts that section out because it's it's yeah it's not the most exciting uh, good evening brad uh glad you can join us hope you're enjoying uh the the wonderful conversation we're having about running an FKT and the geological formation of the dark and white <laughs> peak district tonight. I've got um, that out my system. I'm you've got right. it. Excellent. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah. So, I, you know, I mean, it's quite, you know, in three minutes, it's quite hard to describe it, but it's just very, yeah, undulating, rolling. Um, some of the trails are really runnable. Some are a little bit rough. And um, yeah, it was good, that kind of nice variation. So you kind of. And had you wrecked the whole route? Um, so I, I did week that before. Yeah, a week before. <laughs> yeah, goodness me. Um, so I wrecked um, the first section to Millersdale on like the Wednesday, ten days before, and then on the Sunday, which was just under a week before, I wrecked Winster to the finish. So that was about kind of twenty six miles, twenty five miles, and then on the Friday, just guess, Friday just before. <laughs> I, I I kind of just did one section I hadn't done for a while and then drove part of it as well because you do do a bit of okay. road. So yeah, I think in total I pretty much managed to. There was only one or two bits what I hadn't been on, but I've been on them for quite a while. You know, before going from runs from your mum's, going into like your grave, mm-hmm. um, or shrines and stuff like that. So I kind of knew those bits from those runs were done locally beforehand. And is that something that you'd recommend that people recce the route get to know it? Yeah, I mean it's an. Or inter- does it spoil the surprise? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? And um, athletes often ask us, you know, should I go and recce the route? Um, will it help? And I think sometimes for navigation, it can do. So definitely that latter section, 
of a limestone way going from kind of some of the field sections yeah having known those it just meant then when i got through this style pretty okay i know exactly where i was going there was no faffing about the compass or uh, you know where's the the next um way out of this field um but then some, sometimes races like when i did cape wrath that i couldn't go and wreck because no. it was all the way up in, in up in scotland um but you can still sit and look at the map so i spent a lot of time poring over the maps for cape wrath reading the guidebook for cape wrath getting an idea and watching videos and reading blogs so i got an idea of what the route was like and you know yeah it can really help having wrecked the route because you're then able just to focus on on your running you're not then stressing about kind of your navigation um but if we're not careful we can end up almost jeopardizing our training by putting recce's in there oh you mean like if it was a lot of travel and yeah you know too much in at once yeah um so you know you've got to be kind of structured with it and you know things like the dragon's back <laughs> as we heard you were so well <laughs> yeah, wow. i think yeah. i find that with the wreck is it's not just the navigation i think it gives you a lot of insight into what the terrain's going to be like like if you recce the limestone way you can see the polished limestone you know that's going to be wet and it might actually change your kit and your shoes and and also i i like it because then you can use your visualization and kind of imagine yourself along it and yeah because when you did northern traverse you, did you had you wrecked the whole of it, or was there any section you hadn't wrecked before? Well, I'd walked it, well, yeah. So I didn't plan to wreck it because I thought I knew the coast case, but then um, and then somebody went to wreck it that was doing the race, and I remember I, I didn't recognize any of the photos and suddenly realized it was a bit patchy. Yeah, I wrecked it, yeah, pretty much all, yeah, I think I'd done all of it. And did that help when you then came oh, to yeah. the race? Yeah, especially when you get to kind of 180 miles and you're pretty <laughs> tired, <laughs> and you are pretty, yeah. So, I mean, and that is. But you also kind of have rough ideas like when your next climb's coming up. So if I exactly, need to eat, yeah. um, you can start thinking about your nutrition strategy when you kind of know what the route's like. And also it? it meant for this that you could tell me exactly where I needed to be for the crewing. Like you weren't giving me somewhere that had... Oh no, you did give me somewhere that did have double yellow. <laughs> <laughs> but most of them were pretty good. Um, so it, it helps with that as well, doesn't it, if you've got a crew. And it really helped yeah. me knowing where the finish was because it's a bit unassuming isn't it it was it's a very unassuming <laughs> no finish. signs just like rock out at a school on a road and yeah, you're done it, it, it's pretty pretty un, unassuming uh we've had another question from arlene shall we uh, just have a little limestone way break yeah and interlude into arlene's coaching and kind of arlene's asking another so the question. question is in coaching do you ever tell your athletes no you shouldn't do that if they are not physically capable and i mean should we try anyway and probably do that He's going to answer that one first. I answered the first one first. <laughs> Arnie's question first. I mean, I'm I'm honest. Yeah. And um, and that doesn't mean like I'm negative. I'm I'll be honest with if somebody's got a stupid idea or um trying something where we don't, you know, we can see that that's really not going to happen how they expect. So, um. Yeah, something, and I think that's one of the important things about a coach is having that relationship both ways, that you've got that trust, that you can bring bring up um, your concerns. And sometimes, like, it's not necessarily about them not being physically capable, but sometimes we have, um, have athletes where they have kind of quite odd <laughs> timing <laughs> races and think plans, and I again we'll just be honest about what that could take out of the body and whether if one thing's more important than the other how we could balance that 
Yeah. I, I think I said that diplomatically. Yeah, no, you have. I'll maybe be, be brutal and honest. As a, um, you know, I think um, when we interviewed um, Kim a couple of weeks ago and he was asked about coaching, and one of the key things it is listening to the athlete um, and listening to their motivation and reason behind doing certain events and certain races. So you've always got to be kind of mindful of their motivation behind doing it. And so sometimes you kind of say, no, that's not going to be a good idea. You could, you know, you could be crushing a bit of a dream. Um, but sometimes it's helping to unpack that. So why you're saying no. So if somebody's planning on a certain race and you just can clearly see they're not going to be physically fit, it's almost better to hold off for six months or a year to build up the fitness. Um, then, then that's always better because there's nothing worse than, than lying to an athlete because ultimately that's what, you know, if you're kind of going, yeah, 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 you'll be fine. You're, you're ultimately, you're lying to that athlete, aren't you? Um, and then they go and have a horrible experience in DNF, then that doesn't really reflect well on us as coaching. It's always better to be honest. And sometimes, you know, we have to be the bearer of bad news. We sometimes have to be the one that kind of says, look, you know, um, the good thing with being a coach as well, so a lot of reasons why people will employ coaches because we're able to be kind of looking, you know, at the bigger picture, aren't we? You know, we're able to look at everything that's going on and help them look at it holistically rather than sometimes when we're aiming for a race and event, we become very kind of, single focused time of vision on it um so often a coach will be kind of going well you know look at how this is going look at how that's going um and, and give them reason why of saying you know you shouldn't do that rather than just you know being a complete killjoy um you know it's not pleasant as a coach when you have to say to an athlete look i really don't think this is a good idea now that doesn't always mean that our athletes and listen to us um and we have been proven wrong so you know that's you know that's one of the joys of coaching it is so much of an experiment so yeah um you know it's nothing you don't want to lie to athletes and then they end up dnfing and having a horrible experience because then you, you know you really have let that that athlete down but uh, yeah no we we do sometimes say to athletes you know maybe you shouldn't do that um and sometimes it's, you know, it's just getting carried away. It's excitement. They're like, you know, with races coming up, you know, people will book a lot of races into their year and not really give a consideration how much recovery they need after the race. Um, and that's one of the big things that, you know, is so important when you're planning your ultramarathon calendar out and the races you want to book in. It's always like, right, have I got capacity, you know, two, three, four weeks to recover from this race before I then start my next training block of maybe 10, 12 weeks? Um, if you haven't, then the likelihood is you're going to put the body under a lot of stress and strain, which could then lead to kind of burnout, fatigue, injury. Um, so that's one of the things we, you know, as coaches, we talk to a lot of our athletes about, you know, you know, is this the best build up? Is it the best strategy? So, yeah, um, sometimes we do have to be that, that, that killjoy. So, uh, but great question, you know, mm. and, um, you, you know, I mean, if, if you're employing, uh, and a coach and, and paying the money then you know you, you always want to listen to their advice and sometimes you will get advice you don't like hearing um, same from when I was a lawyer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly I um, was always honest about chances then <laughs> whether or not someone would get off for a nicking or get off something but yeah you, you know you, you can't lie to people that that it's not a good way and that wouldn't sit with me anyway so um, but uh, yeah there we go I hope that's answered that that question um cool where have we got up to we got up to um wreckers so we've ticked off the wreckers so talk a little bit about the planning for doing an fkt event 
Ooh. Now this is where we slightly differ, don't we? This is where I go into full spreadsheet mode. Yeah, I, I yeah, no, I shouldn't have, I don't want to admit this in case any of my <laughs> coaching athletes. You mean I might leave things to just plan that the night before, <laughs> shove it in a bag? Uh, we could always talk about half MDS Peru. <sighs> I was working a lot of hours. You were working a lot of hours. You were working a lot of hours. <laughs> yeah. Touche. Touche. Um, but it was fun driving to Asda at 10 o'clock or Tesco's to buy glue, to, to, to glue your Velcro onto your shoes before you flew out at five o'clock in the morning. Oh, it was fun. Uh, anyway, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I am um, a spreadsheet geek. Um, I, do, I do like a spreadsheet. So what we mean by that is when I'm... Um, planning a race I will sit down and kind of look at what time I want to be doing it in ideally look at what other times people have done it in so I looked at um what the previous time on it David Harrison done like nine nine hours 43 which um seemed quite generous time for somebody like myself I've had a look at what the guy who won the race in in like five hours 40 and that was a bit shorter um so I was looking at those times and looking at some of the training times then I then started plotting out the kind of key villages and kind of points along the route which I could use as markers to kind of say, and kind of going through what was in the, the guidebook as well. So what sort of uh, sections did you break it down into in terms of distance? So I broke it down into kind of 10 mile sections, okay. 10 to 14 mile sections. Um, I think it may have been less on the, on for like going on the tracker just so when people were following the tracker they could kind of keep a little mm. bit closer eye onto it. But I plan to have you supporting me kind of at 14 miles, 11 miles, 10 miles and 9 miles um, along the route. So we had like three three checkpoints. And then I was kind of working out roughly how long each section is going to take. Um, my initial plan was to try and do it in under seven hours. So just under um, nine minute miling uh, because that kind of seemed a, a kind of fairly comfortable time with what I've been doing in training recently. Um, on some of my longer runs here in the Peak District. Um, so that kind of became better. Then I, had to, I did have the secret goal of wanting to run six and a half hours on it as well. That was my kind of secret goal, which I had to let you into. So it then created a spreadsheet of how long each section was going to take and knowing that that average is probably going to slow in the later stages. And then if the first section was like 14 miles, was going to take two hours, which I think was the initial section, then working out right for two hours, if I'm going to eat every 45 minutes or half hour, how much food do I need? And then I start plotting out how many gels I'm going to carry, um, how much mountain fuel I need. Um, and that then kind of then creates the whole menu in some respects. So then you, as a, when you were crewing, you had just this bag of, you know, little mini bags of what was going to be given at each checkpoint. Yeah, it wasn't the most complex crewing I've done. No, it, it was, was fair. It was an easy one. It was fairly straightforward. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I was trying out um, spring gels for the first time. Um, I kind of looked at using these for MDS, Marathon de Saab, because of their 250 calories in a 50 gram gel my speed nuts. Um, <laughs> should I say that again? No. No, okay. Um, and so I've been looking at using these for MDS because of super high calorific um, gram to kind of calories really good count and I just wanted to test them out so I was using carrying three of these and I had two spare in my pack as well uh, and then two kind of 500 mil um, kind of bottles so 
Oh, there we go. We've got a picture of the um, complex checkpoint. Complex checkpoint. <laughs> Two bottles. Back at back of the car. Gels. And it kind of actually looked a bit more, um, kind of, if I move that up there. Oh, even more classy. So this is kind of the back of the car. You can see Sherlock in the crate. Sherlock joined us for the whole journey as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we just had them laid out. I look, I look really enthusiastic there. I was going to if I had my gloves, if I needed my gloves, because I stuck them in my shorts. It was a very cold start. Um, but we kept the, the kind of what we could call checkpoints re really slick. Um, so because of the timing I was looking at doing, we made sure they were just kind of rolling. Um, but, and by what I mean by that is that I just kind of came in, grabbed the bottles, grabbed the gels, put the gels in my pack, and then just slowly fed the bottles into my pack as well as we were going along. So it was maybe only standing around there for a minute or two minutes. I don't think it was um, If you watched uh, the video I've uploaded from on YouTube of me doing it, you'll see when I come into Bonsall, I did actually work out that I hadn't made enough bottles of mountain fuel and I had this bit of a, a stress. I mean, this, that, oh, that saved the drama. No. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was almost the high, the high drama of the Limestone Way, me kind of, sort of going to Jamie, who was running along going, Jamie, I've not made enough bottles of mountain fuel. I mean, um, all I had to do was pour some powder and some water in a bottle, so I wasn't too concerned about you flapping. I didn't get drawn in. No, no, but again, but this is the thing though, isn't it? When we're in races, um, it's amazing how sometimes you, you know you get kind of wound up in this anxiety and you just get you know mm. bit... should we talk about that time you had a real massive shout at me <laughs> in some local marathon <laughs> because you'd asked for bottles and i brought hard bottles and not soft ones. No, i asked for soft ones. Uh, yeah you asked for bottles <laughs> but it is it, it's in that heat of the moment because you're racing and you know you're so focused on some of the yeah, really kind of pointless details in some respects, aren't you? You know, because you want it to be just as smooth and as fluid as possible. Um, and you then will start worrying and ruminating, is this going to have an impact upon my time? Is this going to have an impact upon my race? Um, yeah, that, that's the only time I've actually ever had a major patio check. Well, you've got in I... my sun gator thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. So there you go. Why not? <laughs> Uh, if anybody listens to my podcast now, they're going to be like, they've, they've changed to something else now. They've, they've gone to Elizabeth Day House Affairs. Um, so, yeah, or kind of something more interesting. But yeah, so um, nutrition was very, very kind of slick. And... So is the, I mean, well, I'll, I'll ask questions. If... <laughs> yeah, ask questions. Uh, but I, I mean, mean for gels for 46 yeah. My, I mean, then they are real food gels, aren't they? Because I, I would have put, I'd have, I'd have had a picnic and a sandwich <laughs> <laughs> for forty six miles, but it would have taken me considerably longer. But I mean, like, are you pushing it a little bit there? Did you know that that was going to be enough food? Do you think you you would have craved any real food, or were you happy with that? Um, I mean, the the, the spring energy are more kind of fruit and the speed nuts are kind of like a, a mashed up nuts almost like a peanut butter yeah um, but with fruit in it as well so it you know it's high calorific it's 250 calories so it's it's a fair amount going and it's not just pure sugar so it's not 250 so calories it's not of like sugar proper, not like the gels that you might use it's not kind of yeah you know i mean i've used the mountain field jellies in the past so how many are, of those did you have for the whole i consumed whole nine I'm sure it says on the label, like, do not take more than 10. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, I was kind of take, taking it to the limit almost, wasn't I? Um, I mean, it, I did have some cliff blocks in the pack. 
as a backup. So if they start, if they, you know, going on, but also but no bars, or but no bars. Partly they're because of the pace I wanted to go at. Yeah. Um, and I've learned this from 100k when I've done 100k on road, and you're running at kind of six thirty minute mile. I'm for sure 100K. I held out half a banana a few times on the um yeah, the 100k. But you could no, it would have been. It wouldn't have been we hard did. Fun, we did it. The one in Wales. Maybe it was just softened. It would have been very softened. softened and, and kind of softened the banana. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to masticate. <laughs> just part of the crew. Yeah. You know how I like my bananas masticated. Um, <laughs> I do apologise for listening in on this. This is like a daily conversation in the Scotney house. Um, but yeah, no. Um, it, it could have backfired, but I'd been using these in training and I was finding them working really well. And, you know, with it, again, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say only 46 miles, but because it wasn't like a big, long route um, and I, with the, exp, you know, running, thinking of running about seven hours, I was thinking I could probably just get away with just putting gels in yeah, rather than eating bars because... Yeah, sometimes bars can just get a bit bit hard to eat sometimes. Slow down. <laughs> I'm just not, yeah, just calibrate in your mouth. Oh, and what was in those bottles? So there's two bottles there. Uh, so the bottles had, one had mountain fuel in. So um, just some of the extreme energy, um, which is kind of one of our favourite drinks we use. And then the other one just had plain water in. Um, and that was every kind of, time I met you those kind of three checkpoints was just picking up those two bottles one with mountain fuel one with water and then I was just kind of sipping along and I was yeah. handing them to you so you weren't making your paces carrying these yeah I mean I mean originally when I planned it I didn't have any paces lined up because of the lockdown restrictions yeah, and um and it was only a James one of our athletes who we coach and I was chatting to him on the Friday um the day before and we were talking about weekend plans and I kind of mentioned that I was going to be doing the limestone way. And I just said, if you want to come and sort the oh, long okay. run round and join me. So Jamie, yeah, it was the very last minute. I was like, you know, getting him to come along to open gates for me. Um, so um, Jamie did a fantastic, yeah, he opened, I think, like 65 gates. He's running downhill. It wasn't, uh, I should kind of switch that picture around. So I'll just put a picture of Jamie Pick running down. pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really getting to see the Derbyshire. Um... <laughs> What's that? That's the Hermit's Cave in the background, isn't it? That's at Robin Hood's Strides. Strides. Not Strides, Strides. I told him after getting um, a few of them, getting that wrong in the video. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so sometimes you would, you know, sometimes you're doing things like Bob Graham. You would have paces with you who'd carry your water yeah. and carry your pack or, you know, act as a mule. Uh, but because of I only, only had Jamie for the first kind of half up to once or 26, um, I, you know, I, I didn't want to be reliant upon him carrying stuff. Um, and I was using the new kind of Montaigne um, Gecko VP, which is their kind of slimmed down version, which is a kind of an updated version of the original Montaigne Gecko pack. So I just had my water in there and just a, a Featherlight. Yeah, because it started off quite cold, didn't it? But it did yeah. warm up by the end. Um, so this weighs next to nothing. So it was dead easy having my bottles in there and the gels. And I carried the GoPro. In the other pocket. That weight. Yeah, well, so we can get some good footage. So I can get some footage of going along of a, of a local scene. So yeah, you know, I mean, it's always that kind of thing. If you have paces and if you've got people working with you, you know, whether or not you get them to carry 
um, your bottles as well because then you've then got to be asking to drink stuff yeah. regularly. So um, I found it to just be honest, Jamie carry. had enough to carry with that massive 20 Jamie, litre bag or whatever he turned up. Jamie had kind of rocked up with quite a big big pack um did he have a pit, full picnic in there? I think Jamie had a, <laughs> no wonder he was gutted that you went a bit too quick he, he wasn't he wasn't short of a, of a full picnic <laughs> unlike myself um so yeah um yeah it was more just in case yeah Jamie pulled out at some point and that's true yeah just carried on so so it was quite relaxed the um informal the paces that they ended up rocking up at the very last minute didn't they yeah so so Jamie kind of came on board on the, the Friday afternoon evening and then one of our former coaching athletes Marty Zaleski who lives in Matlock suddenly appeared up at Bonsall um, and he joined me for a few miles up to the High Peak Trail which was great um, he was far more sprightly than me as I was kind of getting to the 30 mile mark I could just start feeling it kicking in um, but he was good he kept me going a little bit and then I had a section on my own mm. um, all the way over to Thorpe and then Max Wainwright who's a former dark peaker and now Matlock yep. runner, quite useful fell runner, uh, kind of suddenly appeared and kind of tagged along. And Well, first I bumped into him and then... There's another story here, isn't there? <laughs> the drama. The, dra- the drama. The... <laughs> of chatting too long to Max and then suddenly realising that you were way ahead of the schedule that you'd given me. So that's, yeah. that's also an, an issue <laughs> when you're crewing, is that you can't, yeah, you had to be there before. And there were double yellow lines. So I was whizzing back to get to the pro- point where I was supposed to meet you and just and you'd already passed <laughs> by a few metres yeah. <laughs> but you got the water it was fine we just had to do a stop in the middle of a road didn't we well I was shouting it's Max's fault <laughs> <laughs> Max's <laughs> we quickly filled bottles up and I grabbed my cat and grabbed some gels out of the bag at the back of the car it, we survived so uh, I don't think it kind of slowed me down slowed me down that much but no. uh, yeah it was the only only main drama <laughs> of the <laughs> Of a runway, wasn't it? Well, we've had worse than that. I mean, I did see you and, um, yeah. Yeah, plus, you, but you'd also, the track had stopped you as well, hadn't it? Well, there's no reception in Thorpe, Thorpe so, that was, so that was more the issue. Yeah, cool. Well, we've certainly got another question coming in as well. So we have got people watching us live. So thank you for joining us live. Hi, uh, If you do have any questions you want us to answer, when us not having a... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a really good question. Are you using a watch for your pace or are you just doing it on feel? Yeah, cool. So uh, as coaches, we use a lot of kind of um, heart rate as one of our main ways of, of coaching for athletes because it's a really good measure of the effort you're putting in um, and whether or not you're working aerobically or anaerobically. And uh, it's a- amazing how many people, when they're running, uh, tend to be running more anaerobically, so working out a little bit harder and they're not developing their aerobic threshold, which is so important for ultra marathons. But then when you come to race, you then have to be kind of cautious in using heart rate because of adrenaline kicks in, a bit of nerves, excitement, so your heart rate can be a little bit, bit higher. So I didn't use my heart rate um, for the limestone way. I kind of had that off. What I had done is gone through some of my previous training runs of what my heart rate had been, what my pacing was like. So I had a real good idea of you know, what my pace was going to be at a certain heart rate. So yeah, I had kind of done the pacing for the first couple of section. Oh, it's, no, Paul, it's Paul. Paul. Hi. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Um, he, he did an FKT the same same day. Um, I was doing mine around uh, kind of the Kinder Loop. So well done on your FKT as well on the same day. Um, so yeah. Um, so I kind of had an idea of what, what pace I needed to be doing at. 
And then I also went very much off on field to begin with. So we kind of took it fairly easy up Cave Dove. So it's a you know first mile, 600 feet of ascent. So it's all uphill. It's quite rocky. So you can't really run it too hard. And if you go too hard on that, you're just going to crash for legs. And then you're going to be in deficit quite, quite early on. So we kind of went up Cave Dove very comfortable. And once it got flattened, then I started to kind of just run a lot more to feel and just kind of I didn't really look at my watch until almost till Millersdale. Um, Jamie was watching his watch a lot more. I was very much running to feel and now and again just looking roughly what my pace was. But what, Yeah, what screen would you have on, what data would you have on your watch? I just had my normal kind of running screen, so which was kind of time, distance, pace, and would normally have heart rate above it as well. Um, and I didn't have average pace because that's another screen to scroll down. It's only when we start dropping in towards Millersdale and I said to Jamie that we should be here at this sort of time and we should be on this pace. Um, but uh, yeah, it, you know, Jamie was like, you're, you know, I said, you know, average pace should be like 8.57 sort of thing, 8.47. And he went, we were well inside that and we were inside kind of eight minute mile and we were moving along. But yeah, I did it very much on feel for a change, you know, very much like, and great having Jamie there um, that, you know, we could have chat. So one of the things we talk about with running aerobically is conversational running. So you should be able to have a conversation when running. So, and you'll see in the video posted on YouTube, uh, you know, me and Jamie are talking, I'm talking to the camera as well. No, you a little do bit a little tall as well. Do a little you? bit tall, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, it was pretty much on... Um, on, on that effort in the latter stages of the last couple of miles I definitely was running more to pace I was trying to keep it um, a little bit higher pace so I could get close to the time because I was then trying to work out how quick a time I could get on it so then quite flat down at that bit though yeah I? once you're getting over the styles there was one cheeky little climb just under a mile to go um, but yeah so it was very much about um, a lot of effort more than kind of right does this feel comfortable and then just keeping an eye whether or not it was up or down on pace. But I knew it was kind of well up on pace because how well it was moving. Cool. So talk. So we, we've had these slick there, checkpoints. You've, slick. <laughs> you, poor Jane is hanging on because minutes. you're going way quicker than the schedule. Yeah. I'm just about getting in place in the right time. So talk us through a bit about you realising you're quite high up, like ahead of your schedule and... Yeah, how did it go towards the end? Yeah, I mean, so as we dropped into Millersdale, I say to Jamie, and I said that on the video as well, that the whole plan I wanted to be up early on, because you tend to find in an ultramarathon, the latter stages, the fatigue kicks in, you start start losing time, you start dropping time. Um, and there was a bit of fatigue kicking in after Martin left me as I kind of got towards um, Tissington. I could start to feel it a little bit, and I was quite What's that, about thirty something miles. About kind of, 30, I remember, yeah, looking at watching, and I got ten miles to go, and I was just starting to think this is starting to hurt a little bit now. Um, take a bit more food on board, um, but in some respects, it was just quite a, a nice fluid day. It just really kind of flowed, and um, as me and Max got into the kind of last six miles, and I was keeping an eye on the watch, and could see we're moving quickly. I was getting a little bit sore. Max kind of apologize for talking lots because he could see that I wasn't replying that much because I was just wanted to focus on keeping myself moving um yeah it, it started to just feel like this is going to be a good day this is going to be a better time than I anticipated and then my secret goal of 6 30 was going to get beaten um and it was a question of then just trying to keep food going in and water and hold on for especially the last kind of three miles 
um, as, as you kind of get close to Rochester, where it's kind of really run a bullet, it's just like, just keep moving, just keep moving, just keep moving, keep eating, keep drinking. So yeah, no, it was just really nice and nice and fluid. There we go, really easy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I know which kind of. Have we got a photo of you at the finish? Yeah, there's a photo of me. So just talk had... us through a bit of the stats. So, um, oh, there he is. I mean, you can't see the massive school on the right on this yeah, photo, no, but Marcus is running down a road, and by this point, it's actually quite sunny, quite warm. You're in t-shirt and shorts, um, and you put it on there. So forty-six point four miles. Yep. And your time? Six hours eighteen minutes. Cool. Got to be happy with that. Oh yeah, more than happy. Yeah, no. Um, can't yeah just as i had secret goal at 6 30 was well inside that um nutrition worked brilliantly legs worked fantastic you know considering not worked doing, fantastic well <laughs> slight, slight hiccup in thought but let's not let's not worry about that too much shall we um but yeah no so yeah i can, can you know and the conditions i think really helped um yeah. you know you took a picture of my legs at the back and they were completely clean there was no mud whatsoever which is my very, very unusual <laughs> for, for yeah. any part of the Dartmouth for Peak District finish yeah with clean legs so um, do you think that's something that you'd advise is kind of being flexible with dates and waiting to because that's quite hard in training like we train to specific well this is you know the date of a race and then to say oh well actually conditions look better two weeks early how would you know that that's a good idea to go for it or you might not be in the right condition yeah, I mean, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because you've got to be thinking about, am I peaking, peaking too early, too late? Um, if I suddenly put this out, you know, me bringing it forward a couple of weeks, there was that dilemma. Had I overtrained? Was I going into it overtrained? And, you know, I did do quite an aggressive taper into it and only had a few days. A few days. <laughs> yeah, kind of a very little easy running to let the body recover for it. And I guess um, if you are relying on paces, it does make it a lot trickier just to have everybody on standby for weeks. Yeah, so. you know, we've done Bob Graham pacing and the weather's been absolutely awful. Like when John Kelly did his grand round. John Kelly always gets awful. That, that was one of the worst <laughs> conditions that I've been in the Lake District in August. That was just like, um, you know, I was in full waterproof trousers and so many did layers. We, that was the best date, so that was hanging on, but know, the best date. But so. Yeah, so yeah, you know, yeah. And when you've got paces, and that's again one of the joys of doing it very kind of ad hoc with just you in the car, and then just fortunate that because we had track, a couple of people were able to turn up and join in on the fun, so yeah, you, you know, you want some level of flexibility, but sometimes, you know, if you're working towards a schedule and maybe other family commitments or work-life commitments, then you've, just gotta, you've got to just roll with it, haven't you, unfortunately? And in terms um, of, so I am FKT, fastest known time yeah. or record, like how did you know what the record was and how can we all find out about little routes near us? Well, there is now. We've still got a question from one of the patrons we're going to ask as well. Oh, yeah, but that's that's not specific. Okay, we're, we're gonna, moving on to that. Oh, did you, did I that. feel like I was like, I, wrapping yeah, you up? I, I thought we'd get no, into an hour. And an then hour. we can go generally into okay. kind of transferring right. this training to <laughs> Sorry. There's a plan. Um, so, yeah, there's the FKT website or fastest known time website. Bit of a kind of bone of contention. I know some people find that a bit of an American phrase. Um, you know, we used to call them records, but there's, yeah, uh, www. I think it's fastest known time. And then there's a search facility. So you can either search the maps or decide for a certain route, or you can kind of zoom in. 
um, onto the UK map or wherever you're based around the world and see um, what what FKT routes have already been done. Another great website to finding long distance trails would be the um, the kind of uh, long distance walking association. Oh, mm, I love that races as well. Um, you know, they have got some of the original iconic races, the Bullock Smithy, Long Mean Hike, um, what, uh, the one in Yorkshire, um, what's normally Easter weekend. Um, the name is completely just... Felsman. The Felsman, thank you very much. This is why I have you along by the time it's, uh, <laughs> when I have these senile moments. Um, so, and like the Felsman, you know, they're all kind of tied in with that Long Distance Walking Association. Um, so if you go on their website as well, so if you're like think, wondering if there's any long trails near you, um, you can tend to pop on there and see what's around. Uh, and then you can always then submit that to the FKT website um, and put that onto to their website. So, yeah, I mean, you know, be, you know, you're looking at some of the maps as well, but say the uh, Long Distance Walking Association is a great website to see what, mm. what long routes are around. And you'd be probably surprised at kind of what routes are around you. So, yeah, be kind of creative with it. Is that answer? Yeah, it's it sounds fun. Cool. Free. Yeah, I mean it's different than racing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you kind of it's almost making your own ultra up, isn't it? Mm. You know, rather than having to kind of enter a certain race, and and, if you look at the most ultra marathons, a lot of them are following these long distance routes anyway. Um, but they're then just pay hundreds of pounds for the pleasure. So sometimes, yeah, you have to pay. So in terms of, but in terms of, I mean, obviously, some people would like the social aspect, like the buzz that you get from a race and also then you can rely on sometimes you're running with strangers that you've just met but yeah. they're helping you along so how does in your experience how does the races and the fkts differ i mean well this is my first, first or you're one. just so far ahead that you don't <laughs> you never race with anyone <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean i was just a comp- as competitive on the fkt as i was in a race and where does that, how so, did you motivate yourself to be that competitive? Because I wanted that time. So it was about very much geared towards wanting to hit that time, wanting to hit 6.30. But you came so, in under, so how yeah. come you didn't just relax for the last few miles and come in um, at 6.29 <laughs> that I probably would have done? Because <laughs> my ego was then like, right, how okay. fast can I take this? Like, well, in any race... Now we're you, on the therapist couch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know so many times when I've raced, I've come back and gone, I could have done that quicker. Like, yeah. Even on limestone way, I look at it and go, I could have gone quicker. Um, part of that is just my competitive nature as a runner. Um, years and years of running have just, you know, I, I not that I'm not happy with the result. It's never that. It's always that wanting to strive and wanting to be kind of slightly better and seeing how far I can push myself. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's that. Yeah, could, could you, could you, you know, it's like when I used to do 10K races, it was always like, right, how fast can I? Do keep doing 10Ks. You know, it was never like, oh, great, I've run 31 minutes, so I'll just sit back now. It's like, no, I wanted to get under, you know, I always had the goal of wanting to break 30 minutes when I never did the 10K. But yeah, you know, same marathon or half marathon. So I you find saw the same it more a bit like that against the race against the clock. Clock, yeah, rather than just, well, I get that time. And, you know, because if I'd run 6.30, then somebody gone 6.28, if John Kelly or Damien Hall then rocked up for the limestone way, it would be like, darn it. <laughs> so yeah don't want to keep it long, low hanging fruit and in terms of you saying oh well I could have, I'm looking at where you could shave off time like where do you look and say that you, you could shave off time from that one well Thorpe I think 
<laughs> get a different crew. <laughs> Have a crew that actually meets you. At. <laughs> I was on the same road. No, I mean, it is like, could I have been more slicker at, check, at the car points? You know, saving seconds there. And then, like, on some of the sections, maybe where you're thinking, oh, maybe I just took that climb a little bit too easy or I should have hit that descent a bit harder. It's just kind of, you, you start really kind of micromanaging it and really taking it apart, which, yeah, you know, sounds like you're not happy with the result, but it's I am really, really pleased with the result. It's always more like that more growth mindset of, right, well, we're, you know, how can I improve this? And it's more for going into your next race as well. It's like, you know, if I try this next time, is that going to help my performance and is that going to improve my time and so on and so forth? Um, so it's not about not being content. It's more about, okay. right, how can I keep improving it? Paul Barton's come up another question he wants to know oh. how your nipples are. <laughs> <What>? Well, <laughs> any gear issues? How are your toes, nipples, etc.? It's quite specific, then, Paul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Okay, I um, think we need to put this up so that I'm not making it up and looking yeah. like I'm, like ask, I'm uh, the weirdo. Asking about my nipples. Uh, yeah, fine. Yeah, no whatsoever. <laughs> uh, no problems. Thanks for asking. Uh, I, again, I think um with partly because of the volume of training i don't well i mean my toes aren't great are they i've got really bad please don't show them. Toenails. Please don't show them um unfortunately years of ultramarathon running have made my toenails look a bit a bit skanky i mean um, feet in general i'd say <laughs> yeah. um but they are fortunate that on certain runs like that yeah they don't so what were you wearing for these uh so i wore in gingy socks um, which I always kind of wear. They've been wearing them for years. And like I say, I never had blistering in gingy socks until I did um, UTMB. And then I got a whacking great blister on my heel, which was kind of just running down the hill too quick. Um, I use a lot of gurney goo. So I've put a lot of gurney goo on my feet, which is a very brilliant lubrication, which you can get from my race kit. Um, it's not the cheapest. It's, you know, it's more expensive than Vaseline, but boy, it works really well. So I put that on my feet in my kind of, Groin crotch area, armpits, nipples. Um, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not like I'm greasing up like I'm getting on with swimming the channel or anything. So it's not like I'm like completely greased head to toe. Like but you're putting, you know, my feet. I'm putting a good bit of covering on. You never um, put anything in my armpits. Right? Well, that's well, my arms used to do that. I used to get choking uh, under armpits. So that's because I have better form, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and then I wore uh, Kinabalu, um, Scott. Kinabalu Ultra, um, which are just a fantastic shoe. They're not the most aggressive trail shoe, um, but for the dry trails we had in Limestone Way and the cushioning on them was just fantastic as so well. So good cushioning. They're pretty light, aren't they? Incredibly light. They feel like a, like a racer train almost. Um, so if it had been a bit muddier, we'd have, you'd have probably needed... I would have probably gone for a more... Or... Yeah, kind of a more aggressive sole. But yeah, no. Um, and... Again, just, a, you know, we're doing a lot of training week in, week out, day in, day out. Your feet tend to get used to that kind of amount of abrasion and working. So I tend not to suffer with blisters. So my feet were okay. Maybe a little bit sore. We just ran for seven hours. Well, six when I was 18. Um, but, yeah, you kind of expect that. Cool. Marvellous. Excellent. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, sorry, no, no photos, unfortunately. <laughs> Message those privately. Uh, yeah, message privately. <laughs> you can swap photos. It might be maybe he's just leading us to ask about on his FKT. How his nipples. Um. So we have got a question that Arlene submitted 
Oh, you know, yeah. Uh, not that one. Yeah, so uh, Claire, so part of Wild Ginger Running, you can become a patron of Wild Ginger Running if you kind of um, head over to Wild Ginger Running website. There's a link over to patrons, and you can be a paid patron, and it gives you access to the patron Facebook group. Um, and there, Claire that also does competitions in there as well, just for the patrons. And there's and kind of some discounts insight. and offers and things. Yeah, well. so you get kind of discounts with some of the people guests we have and for bits of kit. So if you are interested in being a patron, head over there. Um, and as patrons, you get kind of heads up who we're interviewing beforehand, so you can kind of submit questions beforehand. And we have one question. We're going for over an hour now. We <laughs> thought we'd just be starting for twenty minutes and we'd get an evening on. Um, so Arlene has. Um, as she's kind of first of all she's kind of congratulating well done on it uh, and then um she has a coaching question she says i'm an older slow back of the pack runner what of a difference between training for a single one day ultra and a stage race like the cape wrath and oh, then the question goes on because we oh, have cut some of this off, so i'm yeah. prepared um should an older slow runner even attempt such a thing and i think one of the things that Ollie mentioned earlier in the comments was about whether there was Kate Rath was a bit too much and is there some a suitable race that well for that she thinks um for somebody not quite up to that um yeah we should have we should have posted this question ages ago shouldn't we really because we're now going to end up spending 20 minutes talking about this only if you make it last that long <laughs> well yeah well no I mean I'm so um I, you know I'm a, a fairly veteran ultramarathon runner now i'm edging closer towards being 50 um than i am kind of 40 anymore so um i and i i'm a firm believer that age is just just a number and that with a right kind of training and approach that kind of most things are possible and the great thing of an ultramarathon is it doesn't require the same level of intensity running things like a marathon or um a 10k does so, you know, yes, it will involve something like Kate Ruff will involve a, a fair degree of walking. So, you know, you can mix the training up so you don't have to be, you know, thinking about, right, I've got to be speedy, I've got to be fast. Um, you know, it's just about kind of time on feet. The, the other great thing, so with Kate Ruff, so the first year, well, I did the first edition of Kate Ruff, there were two runners in that race, Gene Dykes, who is... An American runner, who I think holds the record for the fastest marathon. Is he over no, eighty now? Is he seventy-eight? He's in his seventies, and I remember Gene was just, yeah, it's really inspiration to me because he'd be fast packing kind of what I'd call it every day. Um, I got a wonderful photo of him with Anne Shalik in the background, and I've just really inspired by him. There's also another guy, Richard Beard, who I think appears in the film, and he was like he recently retired or something, and he was saying about you know he was mid sixties. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I think you know, if you get the right approach to the ultra marathon and you see it as an opportunity to mix it up with running and walking and spending time on feet, that then, then it's possible. What you then also have to be mindful of, you know, even like, well, if I'm too slow, then I'm not going to hit the cutoffs. And that's when you need to start thinking, right, well, if I'm going to walk at what pace do I need to be walking that? You know, we're not talking about kind of ambling around the local park. You know, we're talking about walking with a purpose so that you're actually moving maybe kind of, you know, four miles an hour sort of thing. Um, and so you're able then to hit the cutoffs. And if you look at things like Cape Wrath and Dragon's Back, yeah, it tends to be like three, four miles an hour you need to be hitting to kind of hit the cutoffs. 
you know, things like Dragon's Back and Cape Breath, if you are then out for longer, you do have less time at camp. So that means you have less time to recover, less time to eat and, you know, and drink. Um, so that then has a knock-on impact upon how well you're recovering for each day. So you're then spending more time out on the trail than at camp. So that's one thing to always be mindful of as well. You know, how does that going kind to of work? But, yeah, you know, I think age, you know, we've got quite a few um, athletes who are, are, are over kind of 55, 60 we're working with for certain events. Um, so, yeah, I think it's always about the right approach. Um you know, and also the reason kind of why, you know, why you wanted to do it. Um, and, you know, something like Cape Wrath, if you're feeling like you know, eight days to do the race is a bit much and doing it as a as a solo kind of trip um, can be just as exciting and kind of still doing such a good route. Um, but, yeah, kind of just be mindful of let's just kind of get out there and, and, and do some, keep getting some movement going in. And in terms of the differences between training for a single day ultra and then stepping up to multi-stage, what would you say the main differences are? And kind of just getting that time on the feet. That that really is the most important thing. So with a multi-stage race, I mean, one of the things you could, what is really beneficial for multi-stage, but even for a single stage race would be kind of running twice a day or even doing, you know, a walk in the morning, um, and then a run in the afternoon or evening. And we're only talking maybe doing like a 30, 40 minute, you know, walk or run in the morning and afternoon. You know, it's not like you've got to be doing hours upon hours upon your feet. Because if you're doing um, training twice a day, it's a real good way of getting good volume in at a low intensity, but it also really encourages the body to speed up its recovery process. So it, it naturally encourages that um, recovery process that, um, increase of growth hormones as well and uh, yeah it, it's just a, a really good way of getting that low intensity and you don't have to be doing back-to-backs all the time as well because they can cause so much fatigue so you know you've, and that's another good reason for doing kind of double days as well because that's a way of putting that extra volume in without doing kind of big four or five hours on the Saturday and then another four or five hours on the Sunday <clears throat> um, so that that'd be the main difference for a, a multi-stage, it, you know, it, it's just trying to get as much low intensity volume in time-wise as you possibly can squeeze in. And, you know, don't be afraid of, of, of walking as much as just running. It's only gone really bright. <laughs> Is that because we've been on for an Lights hour? on, we need to, yeah. Lights on, not kicked, lights off. Kicked off. <laughs> Excellent. So I hope that answered the question there, Riley. Um, she has asked, what goals do you have in the future? Anything in the US? Uh, oh, lots Ooh, in the US. We're only just let out of our village. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have been allowed out of the village for a while. We've not been like a year. It's not been that completely. It's not like a... <laughs> it's the barricade in the village high street have been moved. Uh, Marvel, so excellent. Well, there we go. Um, this has been a complete Scotney takeover. <laughs> Welcome to our world. <laughs> if you have survived the seventy minutes that we have talked, don't about, worry. We'll have a we'll have another proper person on next. 
So well done. Uh, if you've taken us out for a run, um, we hope we've maybe put a small f- smile upon your face or that you've maybe just held your head in your hand when what are these two going on about? Um, but yeah, and so we're back in two weeks' time. We don't know who if Claire has a guest lined up next week, what she's got no, planned. Claire will be back next week. Uh, Claire will be back next week. Who have we got in two weeks' time? <laughs> you Ben. <laughs> it's Ben Mansi. We're going fell running. So we are going completely off kind of ultras and um, off the trail. We are going on to the fells. So if you've and, ever... And kind of international fells as International, well. yeah. Ben is a renowned fell runner up in the Wolfdale Valley, the kind of, kind of Grassington area. He has done some amazing mountain races in Italy and places of Europe. Um, so if you ever thought about having a go at fell running or what is fell running, um, what's the difference between fell running and trail running? And what's it called fell running? Um, yeah, I think I might know the <laughs> answer to But I'm saying those who are maybe <laughs> wanting to join us in two weeks' time and you want to find a bit more about fell running, come along. We're going to be chatting to, to Ben, um, talking about the difference between fell running and you know, why, maybe why we want to maybe become a bit more adventurous and disappear off into the mountains. A I thought bit. we were just going to chat about how nice his coffee that he sells we is. Were talk, there will be a fair degree of coffee chat um right. as well i will be getting some barista tips not no he used to be a barrister but we're going for barista tips um <laughs> as well so thank you so much for joining us if you have managed to kind of go yeah, the whole way you. through uh, <laughs> congratulations 70. to marcus and his fkt slash record <laughs> and congratulations for you the listener and the viewer for enjoying the whole way through this um if you've enjoyed if you've been watching this on youtube and you've enjoyed it please click the subscribe button to give update for what other amazing interviews um, we, we will be um, having along board. And uh, Arlene, you're more than welcome. You yes. <laughs> we're saving the payment details later. No, um, honestly, uh, we kind of can sit and chat about coaching um, all night long. It's one of the reasons why we love the job and we feel very fortunate that we can share our passion of running and our expertise of coaching with other people as well. But yeah, um, so if you've enjoyed, you know, click the subscribe button so you keep up to date. If you've enjoyed it, give us a thumbs up. If you want to leave a comment down below, we'll, we'll try and maybe answer some other comments. If you've been listening to this on podcast and you have enjoyed it, um, then please leave a review down below. It will help Claire to say if you're interested in becoming a patron, head over to the patron website and then click on there. So I think that's all the admin bits we're meant to be doing as well. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this evening. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you all in two weeks' time. Yeah, we'll see you then. Stay safe. Happy running. (laughs) Take care. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. 
To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write Wild Ginger Running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.